Today we continue our what we call series called Courageous Conversations. We're going to continue that for several more weeks. We have a lot of ways to go. And we're going to talk today about a specific area of conversation I think we need to have. Life is about seasons. Say that with me, please. Come on. Life is about You come in and out of seasons. And the older you get, I have a birthday coming up. Ready? Okay, it's going to be December 26th. I'll be 60 years old. No, no, no. I am really offended. That is not exciting enough. I'm breathing and I'm healthy and I can still run at 60 years old. Come on, people. I'm 60. Pretty cool, right? All right. Here's the deal. When you, when you, when you go through these very seasons of life, you know, and I, I, it's amazing how people respond to you. In your 20s, you know, you have all these things. We'll go back a little further. Your teens, it's about what I'm going to be, what I want to be in life and all that stuff. In your 20s, like, okay, this is it, launch pad, I'm taking off. I'm really, then 30s. Okay, get married, you know, got kids coming, okay, so now 40s, oh, God, I hope these kids leave at some point, you know, it's my life, right? <laughs> 50s, they're gone, oh, boy, yes, Lord, woo, right, woo, I heard you, oh, <laughs> and the kids are happy, they're free from you, everybody's happy, and then they start settling in and realize it was a pretty good deal at home, in, in most cases. Then you get to this age of the 60s. Now, I always study ahead of my seasons. So whatever season I'm going into, I read about it because I think those people are fascinating. I'm not there yet, you know. I'm technically still 59, so I'm really not there yet. Do you understand? I still have a ways to go. So, I, you know, but I like to read ahead of my seasons because I, I, I look and go, wow, what's, what's coming? And I look ahead and I go, oh, boy, most of them can't run. Okay, that's interesting. And I started noticing that most of them have issues. You know, when you're in your 20s, you know, you know, you talk about stuff like what you're doing, your careers. When you get in certain ages, you talk about who your doctor is. <laughs> you do, <laughs> Dr. Smith, he's the one. I'm telling you, boy, he picks me up real good. You know, you just have all these different conversations. You start talking about the medicines you're on, you know. How many CCs are you? How many are you taking milligrams, you know? <laughs> I'm up to 20 milligrams myself. It's just <laughs> it's totally different. And everything, everything has a different meaning. Like, here's a big one. Ready? How much money do you have? Say that with me, please. Come on. That's a real question. How much money do you, did you save? It's a, it's, a, it's a real issue. Did you position yourself so that you, if you have a physical issue. Now, I'm reading this book. And, and if you go to my website, you know, rickytemple.com, click on resources. And it's, it's called Read with the Pastor. And even on the main page, we got. if you wait for the flashes, it, it has a Read with the Pastor section. The reason I did this was so that you would not have to, I'm not buying you all these books I quote to you and then hope you buy them and all that. No, you go buy it yourself on Amazon or whatever. But anyway, you click on Resources, read, go down to Read with the Pastor, R-I-C-K-Y-Temple.com. And then if you, there's a list of books. And one of the books I'm reading is about courageous aging. Say it with me, please. Come on. Courageous aging. And so if you scroll down, and then now it only has like 10 or 15 on the first page, then you have to hit archives, and you go down again, and then archives, and go down again. And so the, in, in one, if you, as you go down, I think it's the second archive list, there's a, a book called Chris Courageous Aging, and I always have a video on the side. If you don't feel like reading, you can just you know, watch the video and take shortcuts. But, I, but in the book, he said, if you, and this is a powerful, he said, if you think that at every age and season of your life, you're going to be as physically able as you were in the previous when you are deceiving yourself. There are things that you, um, you realize that you just can't do the same way that you do. I was, um, I was thinking about this, um, 
I don't know if I should say this or not, but you'll be okay. Um, I, <laughs> I was um, several years ago, about 20 years ago, I decided, I, I took martial arts as a kid, right? And so I used to, I wanted to go back and say, let's refresh a little bit. So I, I had a guy come and we were working out here. And, and, they, and we'd go in one of the rooms over there and we'd work out. And, and I remember, and we started this, you know, full contact hitting stuff and it started hurting. <laughs> you know, pow! That was smart. Oh, man. That's, look, you know, he almost wants us, but if we want to fight, give me a minute. I got to warm up, you know. I can't. And my, I, the kicks, everything was, you know, you, you just couldn't. It, you hit the bag and it hit your back. <laughs> and then you've been, your, your hip, every, you know, you used to could throw it. Now you can't, you can't, you got to, I don't know what you're going to do now, pray. You know, but, <laughs> but it was, it was amazing moments. You know, we, we have like ground fighting days. So you get on the ground. And in, and I'd get he, he, and I don't throw me down. I want let, let me go down slow. You know, don't. don't, don't. <laughs> and he said, he says, what's wrong with you? Everything, everything's hurting. I said, I'm 39. <laughs> Knocking on 40. I'm not 19. And so I I didn't. You know, I thought I thought about that just yesterday. I said, well, when was I doing that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was hurting. Mm-hmm. That's how old I was. I didn't even recognize, even though I felt good 20 years ago, you are knocking on 40, dude. And so you don't have the same dynamics. You don't have the same, you know, you should still try to do what you can, but, it's the, but the, you have to adjust yourself. And sometimes emotionally, I, I didn't even realize how naive I was at 39. And I think some of us are not honest about where we are. That's what this series is about. This series is about the seasons. And so what I want to do is I want to I want to kind of change a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about, about how you plan and enjoy the seasons that are coming. And the ultimate goal is to get you to enjoy them. God wants you to get to a place of enjoyment. And, he, and in my life, it was, Ricky, I got to get Ricky Temple to this place. And so how do I get him there? How do I get him from here to there? That's the hard question, right? And there's certain things I've got to teach him and certain things he's got to learn to do because if he, listen to me now, if he doesn't do it, when I was in my teens, the Holy Spirit was trying to get Ricky to, come on, son, come on, come on, put this in your life. Because if you don't get this, you won't enjoy the rest of all the seasons of your life. You just can't. It, you can pray, talk to God, read the Bible, cry, meet somebody, date somebody. But if, if they're not managing the seasons of their life properly, it's not going to work. So, for example, if you're getting ready to meet somebody, you want to know if this is the right person for you to marry or whatever, look at how they've managed the seasons of their lives. We're not putting you down, we're not, but we just want to talk about how you manage anger seasons in your life. How you manage temptation seasons in your life. That's an important question. This church is in a season. Church is changing. It used to be that everybody came in the building. Not anymore. The seasons change. Now there are hundreds home watching, streaming in. And there'll, there'll be a thousand in the building this weekend. There'll be another, another thousand watching, or really two thousand watching now from home. And then there'll be another three thousand that will come in the middle of the week. Put your arm around that, Ricky Temple. It's not the same. Stop trying to make it the same. 70% of our money comes outside of the building. Imagine that. 70 cents out of every dollar. So you, can't, you, you cannot have a system that just 
touches people who are in the building. You got to think differently. And, and, and I think some people have a hard time with that process. And so when the seasons change and the job change, the industry changes, you don't have a job. Because you're not honest about it. This is different. Our country has to be honest about the season change. Technology has shrunk the world. Everything is different. Finding a job is different. You don't go by the job, knock on the door and say, hi, I want a job. No, they say, well, go online. Online, what's that? No, it's on, you can go ask somebody. The world has shifted now. And if you can't shift and adjust, you're in trouble. So how do you plan and enjoy the seasons of your life? Look at Luke 14, verse 28. Here you go. Jump with me in this text, and let me show you how it works. This is going to show you how to plan for the different seasons in your life. There are going to be five simple things he's going to teach us, okay? Here we go. Verse, eight, verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower? That's the goal. We're trying to build something here. How do we build a tower? That does not sit down first and count the cost. Notice. If you're going to build a tower, the first thing you do is you do what? Sit down first. What do you do? Sit down first and do what? Count the cost. You've got to see whether or not you can build this or not. The goal is to find out, do I have enough to finish it? I don't want to start. I want to sit down first. So you want to start a business. You want to build this tower called a business. You want to build this tower called a marriage. You want to build whatever it is. First, you sit down. First thing. You sit down and then you count the cost. And the goal of the count is to see, do you have enough to finish this marriage stuff? Do you have enough to deal with this relationship stuff? Do you have enough? Then he goes on and says this, verse 29, at least after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish. That's a sad moment. I, I didn't finish. I went to school. I went, you know, got all dressed up. I moved into campus, but I didn't graduate. And then around you, there are people who can testify that that's, that's a possibility. It's, 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 it's an amazing moment. I'm not mocking anybody who didn't finish. I just want to make a point. You didn't go to school to not finish. You, the goal was to finish. So if you're going to build an education, right, you're going to build a career, you're going to build a life, sit down first, count the cost, see do you have enough to finish it, at least after you've laid the foundation, paid all the money, done all the work, and you're not able to finish. And all who see it begin to mock, saying, this man, this woman began to build and was not able to finish. I wonder, do you have that feeling in your heart and soul? Do you have that didn't finish feeling, that feeling of frustration? Well, don't, don't feel guilty. All of us have been there. In some form or fashion, all of us have had a, a, a didn't finish moment. You feel it with the kid you, you raised. You feel like I didn't finish something in them. I taught them what I thought I knew, but it, I didn't finish their understanding of money or their, their understanding of how to communicate. Something went wrong somewhere in this process. So he goes on, verse 31, he says, well, what king going to make war against another king? Notice, you're picking the fight, right? You're going to make war with another king, right? You're going out here to fight somebody else. He says, and, and, and you don't sit down first and consider whether you're able to meet him with whether you're able with 10,000, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. What king, one more time, you said, did you get it? What king 
going to make war against another king, does not sit down first, consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. I just want to say it again so you get it. Verse 32. Or else, while, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. Hey, I'm not going to win, so maybe we should kind of negotiate a peace. Uh, you got 20,000, I got 10,000, we're in trouble. And then he closes with this wonderful statement. He says, verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. I'll show you how, how that fits in a minute. Now, let me give you the five things that you learn from this text. Number one, you learn the importance of sitting down first. If you're going to build, you have to, first of all, learn how to sit down. If your, your plan for your seasons in your life require that you sit down and, and, count, and, and, and stop. First, the other day I was leaving home, and I had this thought, right? I was, I was all dressed up, going out the door, had my bags in my hand, getting ready to go to my garage, get my car, and it, it hit me, stop. Why are you going in the office today? You don't need to. Why don't you do your work here? You got some office work you need to do at the house, your desk on your, at your house. You just got some stuff on it, you know, that you need to kind of put away. And you've got some other stuff you need to do. You don't need to go in. You've got some stuff you need to prepare for in a couple of weeks. You need to stay at this table and not leave. And so I put my stuff down and stayed home all day. I didn't go anywhere. Sometimes the biggest problem we have is we don't stop. You, you've never stopped. If you're going to build a tower, there has to be stopping moments in your life. I love the book by um, Bill Hybels, a book, old book, uh, Rediscovering Church. It's the first book I ever read by years ago. He was a pastor of Willow Creek in Chicago. And one of the things he said that was really powerful in the book, he said, we built this incredible church, and it was the biggest church in America for a season. And he said, but, but he talked about all the people that died on the way to building the church, all the people who helped them. Their marriages, their schedules were horrible. And he said, we got to the point that we were burning out ourselves and burning out everybody, building this great church, and it's a great church and done great things around the world. But he said, in building this great church, we came to a moment where we had to make a hard turn. We had to stop everything, cut everything, cancel the appointments, no more, and say, this is too much. We are not, we're not, we're not going to make it. And throughout his history, it's amazing when you study his life, they came to a lot of those moments where he just felt burned out and wanted to quit the ministry and give up because it can get to the point that you are just going too fast. But there's so many opportunities now, but you're going to run out of runway if you don't stop. Can you say the word with me? Please say stop. But you stop for this purpose, to count, which means to analyze the cost. Your goal and your, when you're planning is to sit down and you want to look at the season you're in and analyze the season. You want to count the cost. What is this costing me? What is the, what is the back end final tally for this on this bottom line? The profit and loss may look good on the top line. I've got all the cash coming in. But when you get down to the expenses, it eats away at your bottom line. And your net's not what you need it to be. You made a million, but you have $2 left. So we grow a big church, bigger, and we get bigger and bigger. And, but at the end of the day, you have people who are dysfunctional and elders who are dysfunctional. And people are burnt out and the pastor's way worn out and, and he's out of shape and he can't do anything. What, what, what did that gain us? On the net line, you know, nothing. So 
You plan for your seasons by sitting down. You plan for your seasons by counting the cost. You plan for your seasons by being honest. Say honest. honest. Here's the deal. You look at the army that's coming your way, and you start being honest about knowing your limits. We only have 10,000. That is our boundary. You make 30,000. You make 38,000. You make 40. Whatever you make, you make 15. Whatever you make, those are, that's, that, that's the, those are the facts. Know your limits. No one's saying you can't do better down the road, but know your limits. And then, I love this next part, you plan and count to make sure you can win. Get honest so you can win. You got to check the strength of your enemy. They've got 20,000. I've got 10,000. And you do all that so you can win. Somehow, I don't think we get it. You know, Christians have this amazing assumption that because they're Christians, they can't lose. You got the power of the Holy Spirit and all that. You jerk your neck. And so you can't lose. And there's this strong assumption that God's going to somehow protect you. But he says, can you count 20,000, 10,000? Do you see what you're going up against? Do you see what's coming your way? And I'm going to give you a list of things that I think are coming our way. It's not in your notes. And, and I'll let you write it down in a minute. But there's some amazing things we miss because we're not honest about it. But Jesus made it very clear. He said, hey, if you're going to win, you're going to have to be honest, and it's going to require everything you have. He said this in verse 33 of, of Luke 14. Likewise, whoever of you does, does not forsake all that he has, Put it all on the line. You cannot win. You cannot, win. You cannot be my disciple. It's not going to work for you. And, the, and, and I think we're not putting it all in and being honest about it. Now I want to sidestep this for a minute and come back to it. But I want, I want to say, I was in the middle of thinking about this, right? And something happened in my life that was really amazing. I was, um, and in, in, in I am, again, sliding away from the sermon just a little bit. I was, um, I was, I was moved to help somebody in my family the issue and then, you know and it costs a few bucks and I, I and I kind of you know when you do that you're a little bit like okay you know I want to I want to do this right and I and I but I didn't know why God was kind of pushing me to do this and it really wasn't for the reason that I thought I thought I was just doing something that was really cool if I tell you what it was you'd be impressed oh, that's really that's really great Pastor Rick that's really great but but the Lord wanted me to see something for a minute because for a lot of people they look at the world and they see all this, and you'll, you'll see what I mean in a minute. You see all this stuff coming, crime and all this violence, and, you know, it scares you what happened this week. You know, the, every week I'm having something else to tell you. I mean, God, goodness gracious, every week I'm praying about something that happened that's horrible. And all that stuff is coming this way. So if you can see it this way, here I am in my little safe world, right? I've kind of got my little world all worked out, and I've got my little, my, my little safe zone, right? I don't have my issues. My stuff's okay. And so when I look at their, the other side, if I'm not careful, I think that's for them. But no, no, that's an army that's coming my way. I have issues coming my way. I've got things that if I'm not careful, I'll ignore. And so what I was thinking about, and again, this, this moment when I was helping this family member, they, they mentioned to me another family member that was kind of, you know, having some challenges. And, in, and when they said this to me, you know, you really sometimes emotionally just don't want to get involved. 
Because in your mind, that's got nothing to do with me. That's not coming. That's not, I'm not in that fight. But, but here's my argument. There are a lot of things that aren't your fight that will become your fight. The ladies that were just, just killed the other day, I mean, that, that, that wasn't their fight. They were trying to help somebody, you know, at PTSD. But understand, that, 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 that's now their issue. Wherever it started, wherever it happened, that's their, that, that became their issue. Their life-ending issue, by the way. Those kids in the schools that were shot, that, that, that wasn't their issue. They had nothing to do with that, guys, but that became their issue. So we, there, there are things coming our way, and that's, there's something that Jesus said here that's so profound. Look at what's coming. Are you sitting down? Are you honestly paying attention? And here's what I saw in this, my own life here. So I'm helping this family thing, and then they mentioned this, and I thought, oh, boy, okay. And I kind of looked over at it, and I go, okay, well, that's, you know, in Jesus' name. You know, you kind of give it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And then in the middle of that, I got this from this, this spiritual slapping. It's kind of a pow, pow, pow moment for me. Ricky Temple, oh, live in your safe little world. Uh, let me give you the formula. This came to me. Let me give you the formula for helping save everybody. Every white man, black man, everybody that's off, every, whoever they are, woman, child. I want to show you how to save the entire world. You know how you do it? Let the families do it. If every family member saved their family members who are out of, out of tune, if they didn't think it was the policeman's job or the school's job or somebody else's job, there's a better chance your cousin's going to listen to you than to me. But here's what's interesting. When I saw that incident, that circumstance, my initial tendency was to back up into my safe zone and say, well, I'm already doing this now. I don't know if I want to do that, especially if it's going to cost them. You understand? Because I'm already, you know, I'm already good. And I got my list of good things I've done. So how could that be my issue? But I wonder how many of the people who committed these horrible crimes have family members who saw it. But here's what's interesting. We get intimidated. I don't know why we think that, that, that a leader, a person, is going to ever be in the government who's going to fix all of our issues. There's never going to be, never has been in all of history. No matter how excited we are or how unexcited we are, the real issue is this. You have a role to play. You have a responsibility to care. And that's what hit me the other day. I didn't bless you just so you can live in your little safe world. So you want to send some money to Africa, really? You want to send some money to South America? You want to, but what about your cousin, your brother, your sister, your nephew? Why don't you ask them? Say, why aren't you in school? You're scared they might tell you. They don't have any money. Okay, well, God bless them in Jesus' name. Because <laughs> you got your little $10,000 sitting someplace, and you're happy, and you don't want to tell them you, that all they need is $500 to get back in, but you're not going to give them for nothing. they got to come cut the grass or something. In, the, in that moment, I saw something in my own heart. <laughs> Do you see what's coming? Because families have abandoned their role and delegated it to guys like me. So I've got children's shirts. So I'm supposed to save your kids. I see them how often? Once a month, twice a month, come sprinkle a little Jesus on them. That's going to change them? No, not if you're home cussing and fighting every day. 
You dismantle everything I do after church. Time you get to the car. Shut up. I'll slap you, woman. See, there you go. Bam. All the church went out the door. I mean, at, at some point, they, they think that way. They think more like you at home than they do it, like me at church or us here. This, this is not designed. To be the main training center. This is not designed for that purpose. The main training center is your home. It's where you live. It's in your house. You are, you are the pastors of your home. And if you think it's my job, I have a role to play. But I am not the senior role player. And some pastors get confused with that, and they think the job is to somehow excite you, and I, and I get that. I, you know, I want you to say, well, it was a great sermon. I had a good time. And I'll come. <clears throat> no, but that's not what this is about. If we're honest, the armies that we're facing, they've got some advantages sometimes. Sometimes they got more money, more people. they got more experience. The people that we're facing, they've dealt with Christians. They know how we, that we are. We, you know, excited one minute and not. They know more about you. And what I've learned is a lot of times they're more determined to pollute your kids than you are determined to save them. They're more determined to pour stuff in them. They have stuff that's organized. They're more structured. So here's the question. What's coming? I wrote a list of things. You ready? Here you go. Debt. <laughs> Health issues. I, it's, it, it's, it's coming. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Go look it up. All these soldiers, all these people who've seen things that they're <coughs> struggling to get past. All these, all these people that are struggling to find a place mentally to rest. The political divide is dangerous. Oh, this is bad. I don't get up and say that all the time, but I want you to hear me. I've said this to a number of leaders Leaders whose name is I call you know, we've had, we have these great conversations going on behind the scenes. But I've said this and I mean this. A house divided, Jesus said it. Cannot, those are his words, cannot stand. I don't care if we agree or disagree, it doesn't matter. We have to find a way to, to agree. We have to find a way to care. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. It was profound. His name is Raphael Warnock, pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church up, in Atlanta, up there in Atlanta. We were just talking the other day and about this whole divide thing. And he said something, it was, the subject of abortion came up. And I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not for abortion, you know, wherever you stand, that's fine. But he said this, it was interesting. He said, <clears throat> okay, Temple, he said, okay, we weren't talking about abortion, but he made this comment. He said, he said, you know, okay, let's not just be for not aborting infants. Let's not abort people who are born too. He said, let's, let's care, let's not just care about infants, let's care about the infants, okay, let's care about that. Okay, I'm, I'm with you on that, okay. But let's, let's not abort people when they're 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17. Let's care about people who don't have anything. And somehow we have to make sure that in our lives, if we abort them, they're coming. That's part of the army that we face. That's part of, that's part of the pain that we all have to interact with. People, these people, these kids who drop out of school, where are they going to work? What's going to happen to them? We have to find a way to care. We cannot, we cannot just live in our safe zones and not care about people. We have to care about families that are dysfunctional. We have to care about the divorce rate. We have to care about people. We have to find a way. And somehow I think 
if we don't, it leads to pain. And here's the pain it leads to. First of all, they'll end up with years of frustration. And it's nothing like dealing with people who are frustrated. It's nothing like dealing with people who have no options in life. You also end up dealing with people who are blindsided by surprises. They don't have, they're always living with, oh, I can't believe that happened. Oh, God, what happened? Oh, this is a financial issue. Oh, it's always, a, oh. They, they live their lives in this place where they never, ever reach their dreams. And you know, that's a sad place to be. And I've come, I've come to that place where I realize that those are the painful realities of people who don't have a plan for their seasons. Always frustrated. Always blindsided. Every time you see them, there's a new trial. And they're always complaining that this is not my dream. So for you, today, how are you managing your season? For you today, I want to know what your plans are for your life. Take a deep breath with me for a minute. Let me give you three lessons I've learned if I want to improve the seasons of my life. Three lessons in my life that I've learned that have kind of helped me plan my seasons better. Number one, I understand that when I plan my seasons, I will not have time for everybody and every good project. I just don't have time for everybody and every good project. I love people. I do. I'm a people person. But I can't say yes to everything. Some of your family schedules are evil. You're saying yes to everything. You, you, have to, you can't run everything. You have to make choices. Secondly, you're going to be forced to leave people on the shores as you sail to your future. There are times, have any of you been on a cruise? Raise your hand if you've been on a cruise. You ever know something about a cruise? All the people on the shore in the boat goes, right? And, and you wave at them, but they can't go. Even if you want them to go, they can't go because they didn't buy a ticket. You, you, if you tried to get them on the boat, you'd both be kicked off. And there are moments in your life when you have to realize where I'm trying to go, my brother is not going to go with me. And I can't wait for him. I can't, I can't make my decisions. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they stopped me, and they were talking about, you know, wanting to go forward in their life, and, you know, they've gone through this whole crisis thing in their life. And, and they said to me, um, I'm just, you know, I'm waiting for a good, good man, and then I'm going to go. I said, oh, don't wait. I said, don't wait for him. Don't wait for him. He's not, no, he may not come. Don't wait. He let him catch up. She said, catch up. I said, yeah, he'll catch up. Let him jump on a moving ship. Come on, say amen, right? A moving ship. There comes a moment when you have to realize, I can't take everybody. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. I can't take everybody. Don't clap. Don't clap. I want you to say it. Come on, say, I can't take everybody. And, that's, and some of us are so insecure, we insist on taking everybody with us. And there are seasons in your life, and this is really scary, only you can go. Watch this. You can do this. You really can. I've said it many times before. If, if you had, had $500,000 that somebody gave you, Walker Jenkins gave it to you, how many of you need somebody to go to the bank with you? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> I don't need anybody. 
Joe, where are you going? So I'm on an on errand. <laughs> on an errand. I'm going, I'll be back. Can I go? No, you can't go. No, no, this is, no, this is the people, no. The people I'm going to see don't want us to see you, no. <laughs> God designed your life to have moments when you do some things in your life with nobody around. They're personal, private moments. He does not want you to have moments with just you. One of the benefits of being an only child is um, it, was only, it was only me. Um, you know, and your mom has to work, right? And, and, and uh, she, she, I got out of school like 2.30, 3 o'clock. I was in the second, third grade. And, um, and she was sitting me down and said, look, okay, Rick, I got to work now. Okay? I don't get off until like 5 or 6. So you got to be a big boy. I said, okay, mom. I'll be a big boy. She said, I'm going to show you how to heat this food up when you get home school. You don't burn yourself. You don't burn down this little house we got. I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, all right, you put, cut it on, and you heat your little food up, and then we put it, I'm going to have it for you in the refrigerator, and here's your fruit, and here's what you can do. You can go out, and you can play until 5, 4, 4.30. What time can you get? 4.30, Mom. So I want you in the house before the streetlights go out. And I go play, and I go home. One night she came late, man. I cried. I remember, I forget that. I thought about the other day. It's like 7 o'clock. I was in my fourth grade. Just crying, man. Hope my mama can come back. Scared. I was really scared. I was really scared. And um, when you ain't got nobody. Just let me know about that. You, 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 you should have called the police for what? Where are you going to put me? <laughs> he had a bunch of us. What you going to do? It's a whole bunch of us. They wouldn't even come to South Central to find me in the first place. I learned to be a big little man. Learned to heat a little food up for her when she got home. And see, here's, 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 here's what I'm saying. Where was I? What did I say? What? Sometimes you can't take that. Thank you. Sometimes you can't take anybody with you. And in, the, in that season of my life, I learned the power of being alone. That's why this job works for me. Because there are moments when it's, you're absolutely alone. There's nobody, there's nobody with you. There's nobody, nobody, you, you know, you do the sermons alone, you, you, you work alone, you, there's a lot of things you do. You know, we, we have the sermon review process I love because we work together at the end. Once I write them, then we, we go over it together. But there's, there's something about being by yourself and that there's some things that God can't do with you, with people. And you keep, you keep praying this prayer, Lord, I need somebody. No, you don't. You need you. Your life's then when you get somebody, what do you want to do? God, I'm sick of him, I'm sick of her. <laughs> Time you get him, I'm sick of him, get on my nerve. Could you, you go do something? <laughs> Two happy people make a happy relationship. Two happy people make a what? One more time. Two happy people make a relationship. That's how it is. 
You have friends that are unhappy, they get on your nerve, always unhappy. Come around you, suck all the life out of you. <laughs> Let me tell you what's wrong with me today. I come the vampire. <laughs> suck my joy out of me. Tell me all your problems. I'm sorry. Okay, move on. You know, I, I, I love people. I help people. I'm not, you know me. If you know me, you know I'm not saying that because I, don't, I like engaging and helping. And don't say I'm never going to call a pastor because he's called me a vampire. Don't say that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is at some point, at some point, two happy people make a relationship. Diane can't make me happy. She has moments when we do things and it makes us great. But, man, if, if, I'm, if I'm living my life through her, I put all this weight on her. One of the greatest moments, and I've said this too many times, one of the greatest moments in our relationship was, was you know, one of the issues with pastors is sometimes they, they get depressed. You know, you get in front of people, people looking at you all the time, you know, determining where you're good, doing good and all that stuff. And, you know, you get paranoid, especially if you're doing bad. You know, hope I'm not today, but you know what I'm saying? You're doing bad. And you sit there and go, oh, well, I'm not doing good. Hurry up and finish. So anyway, so I was in one of those bad modes, you know, and preachers have this real thing, and so do business people. When they call it post-adrenaline depression, right? You go up and you do three, four services, right? And when you finish, bam, there's nothing. And so you just, you know, they tell you to coast down. So you kind of don't, don't drop. You just kind of slow to And Monday's not always the best day to take off. You want, like, Friday. You want to kind of coast down. But, you know, what was amazing is one day I was in one of those moods, and she's looked at me and says, I can't help you. Call one of your preacher friends. <laughs> I thought that was the wickedest thing she could ever say to me. What an insensitive woman. How dare you tell me to go call a preacher dude? She says, I don't know anything about what you're going through. Sometimes you're mad with your friend or spouse. They don't know what to do with you. With you. you ought to start writing down how many times you say things to them. They, they get confused. They don't know what to do. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a moment. And at the end of the day, here's what this only child learned. There ain't no brothers and sisters behind you, dude. On my dad's side, they were, we were never raised together. I didn't meet him until I was 16. There's nobody back here. You, you know, being afraid is not going to change anything. You're still by yourself. And here's you say, when brothers got married, here's what happens. Listen to me, when they get married, they die eventually. Or they leave because of other stuff. Everybody eventually has to stand in the mirror by themselves. Even when you're married with the person in the house with you. You got to learn how to stand and look in the mirror and love you. And let me tell you, if you can love you and love God, your life's going to be better. Come on, say amen to me. Come on. You have to love God love yourself. I'm done. Three keys. Three keys to enjoying your seasons. Here's what he said in Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor do what? Forsake you. So we may boldly say, what can we boldly say? The Lord is my what? Helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Three things that I think can help you. Enjoy every season of your life. Here's what you can do. You want to enjoy every season. Number one, don't be covetous. Don't be always wanting somebody else's job, money, wife, stuff, status. Love what you have. 
I did a whole sermon on this in the Ten Commandments sermon I just did. Secondly, be content. That doesn't mean that you don't have a dream. You just learn how to be satisfied. 30,000, be satisfied. 40,000, be satisfied. One child, be satisfied. No children, be satisfied. Where you are. And lastly, be confident. He will never leave you. I went to our kids' class the other day, young kids, teenagers, and I just stuck my head in. They were in class on Wednesday night. <coughs> and they were just talking about school shootings and how they felt. That's, that's where they were. And, um, and I looked at them and I said, you know, um, they said, you came in right at the right moment. And I, I said, you know, guys, I, when I was in middle school, we had armed guards. In South Central, we had armed guards. When I was in high school, we had metal detectors and all that. And I said, you know what I've learned? <coughs> Being afraid doesn't change anything. Don't be intimidated. God, is your, God, is, God will be with you, but you can't be afraid. Fear doesn't change anything, but it lowers your chances of winning. If you're smart, you use fear and grab it and say, that is intimidating. But I'm going to conquer this. I will not allow myself to be defeated. I hope that you learned something today. I hope you did. God bless you. Father, these 35 minutes, I pray they've been helpful. I pray they've lifted hearts and minds. I pray, God, that your hand would free people today. That in these few minutes, they've learned something, heard something, saw something. It gives them a sense of hope. And may they realize they're not alone. Everybody has a journey. So, God, I speak healing in Jesus' name. May people say that talk, that encounter gave me something to go home and think about. Just because I am by myself does not mean that I am alone. That God may have me in a place where everybody just can't go with me right now. He's trying to get me to a place. And may I just stop this whole thing of trying to find somebody to make me happy. May I be happy. And then, with God's grace, run across another happy person. But my whole life can't be about finding me. My whole life needs to be more about finding you, Lord, in my life. And finding myself. Looking in the mirror of truth. And telling the truth. Sitting down. Counting the cost. Analyzing the facts. See what's coming my way. All this debt I'm throwing in front of me, all these issues, strife, contention. Father, help us as a society see what we're creating. Help us realize we can't win. We need to sit down and negotiate a peace. We need to find a way to make this work. We need to understand, Lord God, that you care about us. 
us healed and you want to make our lives better. If there's anybody here today, I'm hearing you with every head bowed, every eye closed, and you say, Pastor, I realize that my life has not been where I want it to be, and I need to give God a chance to work in my life. I want you to pray for me, Pastor, because when I leave here today, I want to be right with God. I want to be able to say that I know the living God for myself. Forget everybody else in my world, just for me. And I want you to pray for me. If you want me to pray for you because you want, you want to enter into a new walk with God, you want to start a relationship with the living God, with every head bowed, every eye closed for privacy, please raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. I see one, I see two, I see three more, I see a few, and I see one more there, and I see about three or four more there, five more, six, about three or four more over there, another four. Thank you. I see somebody there. Raise your hands one more time. Let me see you. I want to see who I'm praying for. I want to see you. I want to see who you are. I want to see who you are. I want to see who you are so I can pray for you. Father, I lift up, as these hands are lifted, these people who said, Jesus, I really want you to come in my life in a new way. I want you to touch them, Lord God. I want you to heal them. Let this be, oh God, a transforming moment for them. I want you, to, Lord God, to let this be the day they say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Change my life. And may my life never be the same. Every hand in the building lifted, please. Every hand lifted. Father, we lift our hands together in, in unison with them, thanking you for what you have led them to decide today, giving them an opportunity. And we join with them in prayer, believing this is a transforming moment. You died on the cross to make this possible, to give them a chance to start their lives over again. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say, amen. Well, praise God. Can we give God a big hand clap? I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you really did. Really glad you came.